Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, jump back into your word tonight. Um, I pray that each one of us will be willing to apply it to our lives, not simply in the way that I am seeking to provide application, but also to allow your Holy Spirit to speak to each of us in the areas where we need to make adjustments or where we need encouragement. And maybe we're we're doing some of the right things and we just haven't really been giving ourselves any credit for that. And when we are, uh, we can be thankful to you that you've changed us enough, that you've made our character in such a way uh, that we are doing what you called us and created us to do. And I pray that we can go on shining our light and being salt in the world. Uh, I pray that many of the people who came to the fall festival on Sunday will be interested in returning and coming to church. I pray that we have a full house on Sunday morning and uh, that we are able to just go on that momentum and see you do great things through the holiday season and into the new year. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. And once again, we will, those of us here uh, locally, we will, I will do my best to quit early so that we can have a time of prayer requests and discussion and so forth. But uh, for the sake of those of you joining us via Facebook, Facebook or YouTube. I wanted to go ahead and start right at seven o'clock for you guys. So let's uh, look back at 1 Corinthians chapter nine. We really went, I think, uh, let's see, pretty much all the way through verse 18, roughly, last time. And uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and read that again so that we're, we're in context and uh, then we will go into verse 19 because uh, my thought is that we will do 19 through 23 tonight, which is an important passage. So here we go. First Corinthians chapter nine, beginning with verse one from the English Standard Version. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you were the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And that's because Paul started this church. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? And that would be Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit, or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, quote, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, unquote. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this right claim on you, do we not even more? Now remember, he's saying all this even though he's explicitly stated, I have not taken advantage of these rights. So this is coming right out of that passage in chapter eight, where he's talked about giving offense by eating meat sacrificed to idols. And now he shows how he is, although he's free, he is choosing not to utilize all of the rights that he has because he's seeking not to be an offense to anyone. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, 
but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. I don't think I got into this part, so we're going to bounce up and we're going to hit this part. Verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Verse 19, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. There's a good memory verse for you right there. The end of verse 22. 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. Now remember, they used to wear the wreath around their uh, around their head. It's the crown, right? The, the victor's crown, not the ruling crown. Um, every athlete ex exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. All right, so let's go back up to verse 15, where he says, I've made no use of these rights. He'd rather die than have anyone deprive him of his ground for boasting. Um, he says, if he preaches the gospel, that gives him no ground for boasting because necessity is laid upon him. That is, he is obliged to do this. And woe to me, he says, if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I'm still trusted with a stewardship. So his motive in making the Corinthians aware of this fact is not intended to manipulate them into giving him an offering. He's not trying to load them up and make them feel guilty. He's demonstrating the principle that he laid down in chapter eight about not demanding your rights. Uh, you know, if you look at something that you have the freedom to do is offensive to other people, then don't be offensive, right? Uh, it doesn't mean that you don't have the freedom to do that, but you're simply exercising uh, a value that is passing out of our culture as our culture moves further and further from Christ. And that is the value that we can call consideration, right? Be considerate of others. We teach kids this, or we should. You gotta teach, little kids are, listen, we're not naturally evil and we're not naturally good. We're naturally selfish. And little kids can be very mean and very self-centered, even the sweetest little imps that you know, right? <laughs> 
they really can be little bully boogers, man. And it's this is why they have to have good parents that teach them consideration and teach them to not look only after their own interests, as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians, but to also look after the interests of others. You know, there's just a real dog-eat-dog, law-of-the-jungle attitude that is ruling uh, in large swaths of our culture right now. And you see, it was Christianity that came in and moved culture away from the worship of strength and the worship of self that you would have found in the Greco-Roman culture. And so it's interesting because in areas of the country where Christianity is still uh, holding sway, you will find that there's more consideration. Now, that does not mean that down deep people are, are necessarily any better. That really is the result of them actually letting Jesus get into their lives. But it does mean that they've been taught properly, right? They've been, you know, churches for all their frailties are going to teach these values and certainly, you know, teach deference to others, courtesy, consideration, those sorts of things. Uh, so, you know, if you go to other states, you're going to find that, you know, the driving is worse, right? Because the more selfish people get, the more they're inclined to take what they believe are their rights, right? Now, I'm seeing driving get worse and worse in our area as well. Um, I am seeing an increasing number of people, particularly when I go to the gym in the morning, I'm going when I'm going, it's foolish. I should go later or much earlier, but I go when everybody's going to work. I usually head for the gym at about anywhere from 7.30 to 8. Well, that's when everybody's going to work. So they're all in a hurry and they're in a hurry. And I can't tell you how many times there is a little piece of road. uh, I go all the way down Glenbrook to Beltline and then I go west on Beltline and then uh, I turn on, I can't even remember the name of the, the street right there and kind of cut through where Winters Park is to get over to um, North Garland. And right there at Beltline where I make my turn, I cannot tell you how many people are just exacerbated by the fact that I will not speed up or whatever and they will cut me off right here. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times it's happened even though they'll get stopped at the light that's right there, it's just selfish. Now, honestly, I've put myself in the same position before. I just get self-centered behind the wheel and what are you doing and you, know, da, 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 and you cut me off and I'm honking my horn and all of this stuff. It's a lack of consideration. As simple as that sounds, you can certainly divorce this value from Christianity and say, well, you know, it's a natural human value. I don't think it's natural. Selfishness is natural, but it is certainly a value that was very common in our society at one point in time for quite some time, actually, that is, you know, pretty much passing away. So certain times of day, certain parts of the city, um, you know, it's interesting. When you get among people that have nicer cars and have more money, they seem to be oftentimes very selfish when it concerns their driving habits and when it concerns whether, yeah, here I'm coming up to a parking spot and this person dives into the parking spot. That's lack of consideration, right? So our best bet as a Christian is try to learn from what Paul is teaching here. And I'm preaching to myself and it's good that I'm having to lay it on the line out here in front of people because it is more peaceful to just let other people take the way. 
Somebody, you, you know, they're, you see them running up on you. You know they're going to run the gap. They think they're in an F1 race, right? They think they're in NASCAR. They think they need to cut, you know, 65 seconds off of their time getting to work. So your best bet, and I'm telling this to myself, Daryl, listen, listen to what you're preaching. Okay. Just slow up and let them in. And when I, when I have the right attitude, well, kind of the right attitude, what I'm about to say will show you that it's not entirely the right attitude. I'm just like, hey, man, take it. You go ahead and get in your accident. I just don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> I don't want to be in your accident. No, but let them just, yeah, they want to take the right of way. It's a four-way stop, and you know you got there first, but somebody else jumps, right? You know you're supposed to yield to the right if you all get there at the same time. And you, they, they just, you know, that's the, uh, at, uh, it's, there's another stop sign. Again, this is going to, uh, to the gym. It's right there at Apollo, uh, as you're as you're going toward the uh, from Beltline toward North Garland up there, and it's the same thing. There's a four-way stop there, and people don't always observe those laws of the right of way, and they just, you know, they jump and they just, you know, just let them go, just let them go, right? So consideration is not necessarily what I'm saying here. Sometimes someone is taking advantage of other people and it is not good to allow them to take advantage of other people. But when they're in a car and they could cause an accident, just let them go. Um, but love in, in its essence is acting for the benefit of another person. That doesn't always mean that you're, you are acting for their pleasure. You're acting for their desire because sometimes letting people just have what they want is not what's best for them. Sometimes you have to put your foot down and you have to make some hard pronouncements and decisions. And, you know, that's the tough love aspect, right? You, you know, you have to make statements and then offer opportunities as well. So um, we've got a, a half expected one or more of them to be here this evening, but there, there's a, an increasing crew of homeless folks across the street. And it was, it started, I heard it in the middle of the night, it started raining really, really hard. And so, you know, they haven't made provision for themselves ahead of time to get out of the rain. So I think that they went over to this uh, building next door has an inset, right? It's a deeper inset before you get into the door. Our awning provides a limited amount of protection, but when it rains hard, it just kind of comes in sideways and it'll get you wet even if you're under there. So I'm like all about, man, you know, something needs to be, we need to be considerate, we need to be helpful, we need to do what we can do. These folks don't have a roof over their head, right? But I went to the gym and I came back and I did some other things and it's like noon. And I've got a, basically a homeless encampment that's right out here in front of the church. And I was like, you know, I want to love these guys and I want to be nice to them, but it's, you can't live in front of the window here, right? There's got to be. So I had to say, hey guys, let's, you know, I just, I need you to move, need to move across the street. And I, honestly, I kind of half felt bad. I wasn't mean or anything, but 
people can take things the wrong way. But I don't think that that's good. It's not good for our church. It's not good for business in downtown. And really, ultimately, they need to come up with a solution to their intractable problem. They need to talk to some of the folks at Good Sam and uh, you know, attach themselves to certain resources and so forth. And sometimes those are offered and there's not a willingness to take advantage of those. But um, what I'm trying to say is I'm using me as an example, right? As I'm navigating through these waters that I have to navigate through so that you will say, well, here's this in my life. Here are kids in my life or teenagers in my life or, you know, coworkers or whatever that, yes, I'm going to be considerate too, but were I to just allow them to do whatever, then it's not going to be helpful for them. Does that make sense to you? Right? So consideration is my overall theme for this, uh, this passage that we're in right now. Um, now, Paul uses this idea of boasting often, right? Um, and here is a, a really good example of it says, uh, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. So he wants to be able to boast and saying, you know what? I didn't take your money. I didn't ask you for money. I served you of my own free will. But see, it's interesting because boasting here is not used in a way by Paul to elevate himself. He's really seeking to demonstrate that he's putting Christ first and that he's following these principles that he is teaching these people to follow, right? So in other words, he's not being the spiritual parent that's saying, do what I say, not what I do. He's saying, no, I want you to do what I do. In fact, in 11.1, you know, another chapter, he's going to say, follow me as I follow Christ. You know what? That's what we should all aspire to be able to say to people. I'm not perfect, but I'm following Jesus. So follow me as I follow Christ, rather than us saying, you know, um, well, I, you know, I'm just a sinner and don't follow me. Don't pay attention to me. I, you know, uh, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Really, you don't really find that in scripture, right? And Christians aren't perfect and they are forgiven, but why should I be boasting in that? I should be seeking to follow Jesus, right? Uh, Jesus himself, Matthew 5, 48, said, be ye perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Well, how do you do that? Well, the word is teleos and it means to, to reach an end, to be complete, right? So it's a process of perfection. It's a, it's a process of becoming more and more like Jesus. So I should aspire and attempt to do more to be like Jesus each and every day. Um, We should be reliant on grace for our salvation and not our own works. But as uh, Dallas Willard uh, states in one of his books, and I've quoted many times here, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. I'm not earning salvation. I'm not earning God's favor. Grace is unmerited favor. But because I have this grace, I'm working. The Apostle Paul said, I worked harder than all of them. Well, what does that love that you receive from Jesus inspire you to do? Do you want to be closer to Jesus? Do you want to be a quote unquote better Christian as you move along? And that's what we should be looking to do. So he uses the idea of boasting in Christ with the Corinthians in both of the Corinthian letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And he is opposed to human boasting, you know, putting yourself above each other. 
but he proves that there's value in making much of Jesus. That's what he's saying. If you're going to boast, he says, boast in the Lord. That's 2 Corinthians 10, 17. Listen, that kind of boasting we could call praise. This is just another way of him saying, this is my worship. This is my praise. I am not boasting in myself. I'm boasting in the Lord. And uh, then he points to the example of Christ whom he seeks to follow. He desires that the Corinthians imitate, emulate, I can't even say this word, his attitude. Say emulate and attitude right next to each other and you have imitate. What is that? Okay, it sounds like imitate. He wants the Corinthians to emulate his attitude and his pattern of behavior. And then I quoted it just a moment ago. He says, follow me as I follow Christ in 11.1. This kind of boasting speaks of confidence in Christ rather than self-confidence. So again, we have a culture that teaches self-love and self-confidence. And that's really not what we need. We need self-denial and to receive the love of God. So there's a statement that is often made. It is erroneous. It misunderstands the teaching uh, that uh, I related to you on Sunday where Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, the second command is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so growing up, well, I didn't grow up in the church, but I became a, uh, a Christian at 16. And from that point forward, growing in the church, I heard at certain times and read at certain times teachers who would say, now, What that command means, love your neighbor as yourself. And you've probably heard this, and I'll probably make you mad right now. What it means is you can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. Balagna. What it means is you already love yourself, right? Now, as I've said, not everybody loves themselves properly, right? And there is a proper and healthy uh, self-esteem, if you will. Okay, Um, there are people that don't take care of their basic needs. And so for them to love others as themselves, it's not a good guideline. That's why, as I said Sunday, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another even as I have loved you. Well, the new commandment is really a new standard. So previously, there was an understanding that I'm to love God with all I am. But now with the advent of Christ coming to earth and living and dying on the cross for our sins, we have this model, right? And this is again from Philippians chapter two, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being a found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. The apostle Paul is saying, do that. Jesus, when he washed the disciples' feet in the upper room, said, I want you to do what I've done to you. You know these things, but you'll be blessed if you do. See, now we have a new role model. We have a new example, but we have this example that inhabits us if we'll open our hearts and allow Christ to come inside. So now, more than just mere external consideration, we can actually show love to people. And it's not a, you know, kind of an ooey gooey sort of, uh, you know, emotion or affection. 
Not to say affection is bad or anything, but loving your neighbor as yourself doesn't mean that you have affection for all of them. In fact, Jesus said, love your enemies. Uh, that doesn't mean you have affection for them. That doesn't even mean you trust them. If they're your enemy and they're showing that they want to hurt you, you don't trust them. But you can still pray for them and you can still act in their best interest, right? So that's what we're talking about here uh, when we're talking about this kind of consideration and the humility that the Apostle Paul is speaking of. Um, this is a confidence in Christ that allows me to give up my rights. You know why? Because I know he's got my back. You see, that's why we can do all these things that Jesus said to do. It doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, if, if someone demands your coat, give him your cloak also. So basically, if somebody's a thief, you help them out. Well, that doesn't make sense. You know, if someone demands that you go with them one mile, go two. This is what Jesus taught right there in Matthew, where I concluded uh, in Matthew chapter five, uh, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Jesus is saying all of these things, right? Um, a Roman soldier could demand that anyone carry his pack for a mile, and they had to do it. But what would typically happen is, you, if you were, you know, and it would, they, they'd pick somebody that was younger and stronger, or somebody that's old and strong like me, and they would say, you had to carry this pack for a mile. And so they'd have to carry it. And then promptly at the end of the mile marker, boom, drop it on the ground and walk off. Jesus said, no, go the second mile with them. Wow. This is just a different way of thinking. If somebody you know, wants to borrow from you, Jesus said, give them the loan. And I've said this before, by the way, and I'm gonna say this to you right now, since we're, we're in this territory. If somebody wants to borrow money from you, don't give it as a loan. Look to see whether you can give it, and then just give it. And if they say, I'll pay you back, then you say, okay. But don't expect it back. Now, don't tell them that, just don't expect it back. Because I can't tell you how many times I have seen friendships uh, get on hard times and even end because of these sorts of issues. Uh, roommates, you know, I haven't had a roommate forever. I'm, I'm too uh, curmudgeonly and, and yeah, too selfish to have a roommate. But back in the days when I used to have a roommate, you know, college days, and we would all be nice and skinny and the same size and whatever. We'd like borrow each other's clothes, right? And you go, well, girls, I think, do this more often. And just, you know, go in the other dude's closet and like, you know, where's, what are you doing? Where are my clothes? You know, so that type of thing. Because you borrowed it without asking and you get mad at each other and, and these friendships. And in fact, a friendship that I had, I'll go all the way back to freshman year in high school. I had a friend and we, this wasn't about borrowing, but you can see how it fits. Um, this was during a time when they were building three-wall racquetball courts on all the high school campuses. So three-wall racquetball was popular everywhere. So basically it was three concrete walls and no back and no roof. So it's a different kind of racquetball. It's an interesting uh, way to play, especially in recent years, I've played at places like Lifetime Fitness where it's your standard you know, four-wall court with a roof. But in any event, uh, we were playing and we were very close to each other in uh, athletic ability in this area. And so we bet a quarter, a quarter, 25 cents on the racquetball game. But the outcome was in dispute. We didn't talk to each other again after that. 
Now, I wasn't a believer at the time. I wasn't a Christian. In fact, I was kind of, I was on the way to becoming a Christian. I was seeing a lot of my weaknesses, and this is pride. That's pride is what that is. I don't owe you a quarter. I'm not giving you a quarter. What are you talking about? You didn't win that game. I didn't talk to him at all for like a year, and then I talked to him once at lunch, and he cracked some joke, and, you know, by that time, I'm feeling really uh, convicted because by that time, I had become a Christian, and he had moved a completely different direction, and it's just really sad. I ruined a relationship over a bet of a quarter in a racquetball game. That's all about pride, okay? So you can ruin relationships over these things, but see, what happens if you just give up your rights? What would happen if I had acted, if I had had a relationship with Jesus, if I had acted as a Christian then and just given him the quarter? We would have had a relationship still. For crying out loud, over a quarter, I ended a relationship. It's so phenomenally stupid, but we do stuff like this, right? We do stuff like this, you know? Uh, you know, somebody borrows something from you and they don't, you know, give it back. And you're like, I don't, I don't even talk to you. You know, when you bring that back, then we can talk. But until then, and some people are just selfish. They borrow stuff. They break stuff. They're not, con they're not considerate, right? Which they're demonstrating that they're really perhaps not trustworthy friends. And, you know, you need, may need to back off the, the, the level of intimacy that you have with that person or dependency you have upon that person, um, as a friend, but that doesn't mean you need to cut off a relationship entirely. But if you follow this principle that we see here, this principle of consideration, this principle of giving up your rights, then you can say, okay, this person needs this loan, whatever it is. Uh, it might be something you have, it might be money, and you see that from what you can tell, you're not enabling them to do something wrong, you're helping them in some way, okay? And so you give them the loan. Don't give them the loan if you can't do without it. If you need that money, you're not gonna take the money that you need to pay your rent and give it to them so they can pay their rent. You say, well, that sounds selfish, Pastor. You need to stay in your house, right? If you wanna choose to do something, then let them stay in your house. But you don't give up your rent and your house because then you give up the advantage that you have to help people right? If you have privileges, use those privileges to bless other people. If you have money, if you have time, if you have talent, right? Whatever it is that you have, I, I give those over to the Lord and then I use that money and that time and that talent to serve the Lord by serving other people and blessing other people. So this is this whole perspective of selfless service of other people. And this, honestly, I mean, this could be an outflow of uh, the uh, the purpose of service that I shared with you on Sunday, you know, Rick Warren's idea of the five purposes and uh, the fourth one that he enumerates is service. Um, you are seeking to serve other people, not because you're beneath them, right? But you consider other people's rights, above your own. Consider other people, esteem other people, right? And that's what, that's what uh, Jesus taught. That's what the apostle Paul taught, right? Um, esteem others above yourself, not because they are above you, but because you're choosing. This shows you have power, no weakness, right? This isn't, well, I'm not going to be a doormat for anybody. Okay. It just shows me that you don't have a level of trust with Jesus that allows you to give up your rights. You're too worried about what other people think about you. 
When you get to the place, when I get to the place, and I keep using examples from me, but I want you to show that I have to struggle with this every day. When I get to the place that I'm willing to give up my rights and I'm willing to let other people take advantage of me, if I think that it is going to legitimately help them, then okay, you know, that's what I'm gonna do. So this is the kind of boasting that the Apostle Paul is talking about. He says, I have this kind of confidence in the Lord to be able to give up my rights. Now, I noticed this when I read uh, the end of First uh, Corinthians, that in 16, chapter 16, Paul may have opened the door for the Corinthians to support him after all, uh, at a later point. In 16.6, he writes this, quote, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. This idea of sending him on his way would have meant that they were being permitted to participate in the missionary effort. So you see, even though he's seeking to um, dismiss these rights that he has to be supported, he's not saying that that's permanent, right? He will be willing at some point in time uh, to do this. And then we read, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship, right? Management, he's the apostle to the Gentiles and he is the primary uh, ambassador, emissary, that's what the apostle means, of the Gentiles. And so he has a stewardship that has been entrusted to him. So Paul confesses that he has a burden to preach the gospel that goes beyond any reward he might receive for doing so. When someone says they have a burden, you you ever heard people say that? I just really have a burden for that. It often refers to some affliction of conscience or some kind of emotion that they are experiencing, right? Perhaps it's they're, they're feeling strong compassion for you know, another human being, or even these days, animals. I mean, people love their animals and they see an animal hurting or whatever, and they just have a burden for it, right? But the Apostle Paul here, when he's speaking about this, uh, this burden, it's not something emotional, right? Um, and calling Saul, and that was his name originally, to be an apostle to the Gentiles, Christ obligated him to fully discharge the responsibility regardless of how he felt. So we don't know how he felt about this. Actually, we do at times he talks about that. But he just believes, I've got this duty. Now, that's another, um, I guess, principle, if you will, that has passed out of our culture. Uh, You have a, let's go all the way back to the the so-called greatest generation, right? The the folks that fought World War II, you know, Vernon's generation. they had a strong sense of duty and obligation. Nobody has that anymore. I don't have a duty to do anything. I have an obligation to join the military and, you know, I'm not gonna do that. These people loved this country and fought for this country and felt obligated to do so. And that's been ripped right out of people, right? There's just, there's no sense of that anymore. Well. I'm not saying, I'm not advocating for a, you know, stronger duty to patriotism or whatever. I mean, uh, you know, really you, you should be grateful to God for this country and the opportunities as frail as this country can be at times, the opportunities that it has afforded you, right? Uh, you know, for those that don't like this country, 
there are a thousand people that would trade places with them in many parts of the world. So it's nonsense, right? It is a bunch of propaganda that has been put into their heads. But I'm using this idea of duty or obligation because it is uh, a characteristic, a quality, call it a character quality perhaps. Uh, it is a principle that people don't have anymore, but the Apostle Paul did. He said, I'm duty bound to share the gospel. It doesn't matter how I feel about these people. I may not even like these people. Well, Paul, Paul's not saying that, but this applies. Um, I'm thinking of Jonah. You remember the book of Jonah, right? You probably think of Jonah and the whale and whatever, which by the way, wasn't a whale. It was a fish. That's all it says. It doesn't say a whale, it says a fish. So when you have these people that are like, oh, well, you know, a whale might've been big enough, but its throat is too small. And this is, you know, it's obviously mythological and nonsense is typical. Blah, blah. No, no, no. It says that God appointed a great fish. Okay. God created this particular fish to swallow Jonah. Could God create a whale that had a, you know, biological difference and had a bigger throat and whatever? Yes, yes, yes. This is God who spoke the universe into existence. Everybody needs to get over themselves, right? <laughs> but the reason Jonah ends up in the belly of this great fish is because he's running away from God. Why was he running away from God? Because he did not want to go and preach to these people that he hated, the Assyrians, that had taken his people captive from their land and deposited them all over the place, everywhere else, and had brought pagans into the land of Israel and deposited them, the Assyrians. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. And Jonah didn't want to preach to them. He didn't like them. He didn't want that obligation. So he tried to get as far away from God as he could. He jumped on a ship that was headed towards Spain I mean, he's getting as far away as he can, and God stirs up the sea, and Jonah's, you know, down on the hold in a depression sleep, and the sailors wake him up, wake up, call on your God, we're all going to die, you know, and Jonah's like, hey, I know what's up with this. This is, I serve the, the God of heaven and earth, and who made the sea, and, and it's my fault, just throw me in the water. And so they threw stuff out of the boat. They're trying to like control it and do whatever they can do. And then, you know, it's, it's getting more raucous out there, more chaotic and more dangerous. And so they, they said, you know, Lord, God of Jonah, don't hold this against us. And they threw him in the water and it became calm. <laughs> right? So that's when God sent this great fish, this giant fish, whatever it was, some, you know, uh, I don't know. So maybe it was some type of whale with a, a biological, you know, uh, adjustment that the Lord made and swallowed him. And he's in the belly of this fish for three days. That just doesn't sound fun to me. I mean, you're basically you're in the stomach acid of this fish and your clothes are being digested and your skin is being digested off of you for three days. And then it says, this is awesome. Read it. Jonah's not a very long book. It's only four chapters. It said, and then the fish vomited Jonah up. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and so now he's probably got like, got like all these sores all over him where he's been partially digested and the salt water hits him and it's stinging like crazy. And his clothes literally are digested off of him. I mean, he probably looked like what we would call a zombie. And he walks into the city of Nineveh and he says, repent. And these people immediately repented. They were scared. They really did. And Jonah's mad about it. He said, see, Lord, I told you this would happen. I knew. He knew he was an effective preacher. 
And he knew God had mercy and he knew God would be capable instead of destroying Nineveh of allowing them to go on because they were called to repentance by the Lord because the king tore his robes, made everybody fast and said, we're all going to repent. And Jonah went and sat on a hill and pouted <laughs> because he didn't like those people. But you see, we have an obligation to share the gospel even with people we don't like, even with people who are our enemies. Now, again, I'm always preaching myself. The best way to eliminate your enemies is to turn them into your friends. Nobody can change a heart like the Lord. So somebody may seem like the most hateful person in the world, and you might not be able to be around them. And I don't mean just emotionally you can't stand being around them. I mean, some people are so hateful that you can't be around them because it, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you say. They always assume the wrong motive. You may try to help and they assume the wrong motive and hate you anyway. You may choose to stay away from them. They assume the wrong motive, right? They're just hateful people. And so, the best thing that I can do when I'm in those situations is just back away and pray. Just back off and pray. And I have seen the Lord many times. Now people, I don't believe in irresistible grace, all right? I'm not a Calvinist. But God is a master at bringing together all of the circumstances, the, uh, you know, the emotional states of, uh, of things, to impress upon people their need to change. And I've seen people change. That's what you need to do. That's what I need to do. But we have a duty. We have an obligation to preach the gospel. Now, I say that, and let's tie that into this idea of not giving offense. If that means that I can't preach the gospel, then I'm not going to say, well, you're offended by the gospel, so I'm not gonna preach the gospel. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray for the best opportunity, right? So I need to preach the gospel, but that doesn't mean just any time will be necessarily the best time. Are people willing to listen? And I've seen times in this very room, uh, other times, when I have the opportunity to speak to you and you're open, you're listening, you're paying attention. But then I need to say something later. Well, you've already, again, you've already listened to me for an hour, so I understand this, but nobody wants to listen because it's not the opportune time anymore, right? You've settled in here and you've tuned in on YouTube because you want to listen. And so take that and look at people in your life who you need to speak to, who you need to share with, and pray for opportunity. Pray for the opportune moment so that you can share with them. And it may not be the moment that you feel like sharing with them because what you're looking for is that prime time that God sets up, right? That divine appointment, we would call it, for you to share the gospel with them, okay? So then Paul's reward, he says, what is my reward? that in preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make my full use of right in the gospel. So his reward is the freedom to offer the gospel without being paid. That's his reward. That doesn't seem like a reward. But again, he, he likes being able to do this. Um, it seems like a strange reward. Well, I think um, he would rather be a spiritual father than a hired hand. 
as he states elsewhere, it is incumbent upon fathers to provide and do for their children and not the other way around. He wants their hearts, in other words, not their money. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, 14, I seek not what is yours, but you. So that's real love, not a counterfeit used to secure trust and exploit that trust to obtain money, advantage, or power. So, yeah, I, I understand where he's coming from, you know? Uh, I would love to be able to finish my book and sell the book and it, it do as well as, you know, The Purpose Driven Life, and then I could just do what Rick Warren did and not take a salary anymore. I, I, th- I would love to be able to do that. And then when people complain, I can say, well, you're not paying me. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to get into this next section next week. Um, it is its own pericope uh, where he says, though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all. I've become all things to all men that all, by all means I might save some. Um, I'm going to save that for next week because I do want to end early and allow us time here uh, in the room for questions and comments and prayer requests. So uh, I appreciate those of you that tuned in online. Thank you so much.